A very good morning to you all. It's lovely to see you. My name's Neil, uh, along with my wonderful wife Kate. We lead this amazing church, the Southwest London Vineyard. If you're new here or you're visiting, you're very, very welcome. It's lovely to see you. We'd love to connect with you. Uh, and so do go and um, fill out a, a kind of a connect card over at the Hello Welcome desk at the back. You're not signing your life away. We're not going to sell your data or your information. We just literally want to try and connect with you. If this is the church that God is calling you to be part of, we want to help you with that. If it's not this church, we want to help you connect with some other part of the body of Christ. So uh, do uh, let us know who you are. We'd love to be praying for you and all those kind of things. So uh, check out the guys at the um, back there. Uh, during the course of the sermon, uh, baskets will come round. That's our offering. Um, if you are new or visiting, please just pass them on to somebody else. If you're part of this church, uh, we want to get to a position whereby every single person who's part of this church is giving to the work of this church. We're all involved. And so um, you can either give through the offering baskets on a Sunday or through a regular standing order and all that kind of stuff. You can find out more information about that on the website. The, um, we've made a commitment a few years ago. We felt like God said everything that comes into the offering baskets we're to give away. And so uh, everything that is going into the offering baskets over this next month or so is going to support our work with international mission. We partner with organizations in uh, Nepal and in Myanmar in particular. Um, and that is constantly developing and emerging. And so this money is going towards those partners. So that's that. Uh, you will have seen on your chair there's a, an Easter flyer. Easter is on its way, and we are looking forward to celebrating here. We'll have a Good Friday service here on the 30th of March, and then an Easter service uh, on Easter Sunday, the 1st of April. We're going to have a baptism service, okay? Yeah, which is fantastic. So any of you who haven't been baptized... What? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, we would love to baptize you. We would love to, you know, immerse you underwater and... Um, baptism is important. Baptism is a fundamental part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so if you haven't been baptized, you want to renew your baptismal vows, uh, do get in touch with Mike. We would love to organize something. We do a range of offerings. We do full dunking, sprinkling, dedication, all sorts of things. There's a whole gamut of things we can do. Um, but if you haven't been baptized, um, I can see who you are uh, from here. And um, we would love to do that. Okay. Anything else I'm supposed to say? probably get on um we are in lent not quite at easter we are in lent uh we've been looking at the subjects of lent over the last couple of sundays um and thinking a little bit about lent as seeing it as a season not where we just give up everything uh, that we love but really uh, sort of a bit like advent as a time of preparation a time of um turning our attention towards easter the events of Easter towards the cross, towards the resurrection, and really thinking about this period, the season of Lent, as a time of drawing near to Jesus. And seeing as we're in Lent, a couple of weeks ago we talked about temptation, and we were thinking about temptation and how it sort of feels like temptation crops up when things are going really, really well in our lives, and that temptation also seems to crop up when things are going badly. We talked about the desert. We talked about how God leads us into the wilderness. He, he invites us to join him in the wilderness, to sort of strip everything back, to take us back, we talked about, to our first love. And um, what we're wanting to do with Lent is take some time, continue the things that we've been talking about with rhythms of grace, and to slow down so that we can reflect on Jesus, we can draw near to Jesus during the season of Lent. 
I want to carry on what I began talking about a couple of weeks ago on the subject of temptation, by particularly looking at the temptation that Jesus faced and um, in what ways the temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness are similar to some of the temptations that we ourselves might face and um, what and how we can learn from that as to how we might handle them. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. This is Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and so at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the word of God. And we ask right now that by your Holy Spirit, who's present here with us this morning, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you want to say to each one of us individually. We pray that each one of us would encounter your presence and that we'd leave this place transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. So here we've got Jesus. Uh, He's been led by the Holy Spirit into the desert. He's 40 days, and then he finds himself face-to-face with Satan, and he, you can see he, he faces these particular sort of temptations. He's in the desert. And what happens is the, the enemy attacks him, I think, in, in one vital area. And it's this kind of absolutely vital area that the enemy sort of gets his way into that was going to be the most essential undermining. If, if, if the enemy were to successfully derail Jesus from his calling. And when you look at the text, what the enemy does is he launches an attack on Jesus' identity. He attacks Jesus' identity. And um, do you know what? In case you're not aware of it already, uh, the very place the the enemy is constantly launching an all-out attack on all of us is around and on this area of uh, identity. The very place that the enemy wants to bring us down he tries to undermine us over and over and over again, is in this whole arena of identity. Who we really are. What it is that we've really been called to. Which is why knowing who we are in God is absolutely vital to all of us. You see, because the enemy is wanting to take us out. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. He doesn't want our lives to look like the sort of lives that God has intended for us and God has purposed for us and God has planned for us. God has come, Jesus has come so that we might have life and have life in all its abundance. 
God has intended for us lives that are full of love and joy and peace and freedom and abundance and on and on and on. These are the sort of lives that God, the Father, has mapped out for each one of us because he loves us. And the enemy doesn't want us to have any of it at all. He is a thief who comes to, uh, only to rob, to steal, and destroy. That's his, that's his mandate. That's his job description. That's his job title. He wants to rob us of the lives that God has intended for us. And Satan has been dealing with humanity for a very long time. Uh, he knows uh, us very well. He knows our weak spots. He knows the places where we are most vulnerable. And he also knew... Uh, how to try and unsettle Jesus. He knew that getting to Jesus and attacking Jesus and assaulting Jesus over the whole area and arena of his identity was going to be crucial. And so that's the very very first place that he starts. You see it happening uh, sort of two, three times. There's a jab in this passage, jab right to the very center of who Jesus is. He goes right to the very heart of Jesus' relationship with his father. He goes right to the very core of what it is that God has uh, sent Jesus to do, who it is that God has called him to be. And he starts by echoing what he said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He says, you know, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you are, uh, it's, he's, he's attacking the very center of Jesus' identity, our identity, um, knowing how God loves us, knowing who God has called us to be, knowing what he has called us to is so important because it becomes one of the principal battlefield arenas when it comes to understanding our identity, when it comes to understanding our character, when it comes to understanding our calling. It's where the enemy attacks Jesus, and you can bet your bottom dollar that it's where the enemy is attacking us. So what we see from this passage that we've been taking a look at is that there are three principal areas, three principal arenas where the enemy tries to assault Jesus over his identity. And these three areas, I think, are first of all over his appetite. Uh, The second is over the area of approval. And the third is over the area of ambition. Appetite, approval, and ambition. Have a look at verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not, people shall not live by bread alone. So when Satan comes to Jesus, when he comes to tempt Jesus, the first thing that he says to him is, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. Uh, It's straight in there with this appetite issue. This is a literal appetite issue. Jesus, remember, he's, he's in the desert. He's been fasting. He's hungry. He hasn't eaten for like 40 days. And what's the first thing that the enemy does but to come in and attack him at the point where he is actually most vulnerable? And for Jesus, right at this point, it was his appetite. It was food. And this matters to us because um, Satan is going after our appetites. He assaults us. He attacks us. He tries to undermine us. Um, around the things that we hunger for, the things that we hanker after, the things that we think give us some kind of sense of who we are by uh, definition of need. 
Uh, now, we've all got a kind of a host of fundamental appetites. Um, having appetites is just part of being human. We have appetites for, um, for food and for sex and for shelter and for sustenance and for nurture and a whole host of other things. You'll all be familiar with um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, it's actually been rewritten for the modern age, but... Uh, you know, this is basically kind of, according to Maslow, the sort of things that we need fundamentally at the bottom, you know, physiological needs, survival, air, shelter, water, food, food sleep, sex, those kind of things. It's been rewritten now to include our most fundamental need, which is um, obviously uh, Wi-Fi. Um, because we can't actually function without it. And these appetites and, and all of these things that are in the human heart, they're actually, uh, they're not necessarily intrinsically bad in and of themselves. They're, they're fundamentally good. Um, but Jesus, what he's doing, he's by fasting, what he's doing, he's addressing one of his appetites. And it's just literally the appetite around food. And what Jesus is doing, he's saying no to one of his appetites. And by saying no to one of his appetites, just the need to eat, Jesus is dealing with what it takes to be able to uh, say no to all of the appetites that might come his way. Uh, someone once wrote this. They said, appetites are like children. If you don't say no to any of them, you will find yourself overrun by all of them. Familiar? Um, you see, if we learn to say no to one of them, they all hear that. They all see that, and they know that the spirit working in you is creating the capacity to say no to all of them. And actually, by saying no to one of them, we're empowering ourselves to say no to all of them. So if you're here this morning and there's an appetite in your life that is not under control, very often the way to deal with that is through indirect effort. Dallas Willard puts it like this. Dallas Willard says, say no to the things that you can so that you can learn to say no to the things that you can't. Say no to the things that you can so that you can learn to say no to the things that you can't. And what's happening here in this first temptation is that the enemy is fundamentally calling into question God's provision and his care. And we often hear those voices in our lives, in our day-to-day lives. It's like, you know, surely God knows what you need to lead a happy life. We have this whisper in our head somewhere. Well, God knows what you need to lead a happy life. You know, we're not talking about much. You're not asking for much. Just the basics. Just food, water, love. But does it feel like you're dying out here in the desert? Just like abandoned by God? You know, God's not even feeding you right now. You know what you should do? You should, you should take control. You should take charge. You should do something about this situation. You know, I'm not sure God's actually going to pull through for you this time. You take control. You can solve this problem. You can fix this problem. You can remedy it really easily. Surely that's what God would want you to do. And here's the temptation that we all face on a regular basis. You know, the whisper comes into our ear and it's like, God knows what you need. You've told him. Over and over and over and over again. You've asked him over and over and over again. You've asked and pleaded with God and prayed a thousand times for the things that you know that will make you happy. Um, You just need to be healed, maybe. And then your life would be perfect. Um, You just need someone who will love you. You you need a husband or a wife. Or or maybe like a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend would be like a great start, right? But just... That's what I need for me to have a happy, full life. Maybe you've been pleading with God to give you a baby. 
give you a child. And it's like, surely that's not too much to ask. God, you know what I need. And I've asked and I've asked and I've asked and I've asked. And do you know what? I can't go on. I can't go further unless I get hold of this thing. And so we decide within our hearts that if God's not going to give it to us, then um, I'll sort it out myself. I'll, 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 I'll make it happen. If you want to make it happen, I will. And so what we do is in that moment, we take back the reins of control of our life. How many people do we know that they start their lives out as followers of Jesus and they're really clear about their values and their vision and their purpose, really clear about what's right and wrong. And after a while, I don't know, maybe they still don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It doesn't even look like there's a a suitable candidate anywhere remotely on God's horizon. And so all of a sudden, they take things into their own hands. And maybe they start dating somebody who's clearly not like right for them. Do you know what I mean? They know it and we all know it. Everyone knows it. And they say things like, well, you know, I know it's not ideal, but, you know, they are rather lovely. And um, I'm sure once they get to know me, they'll change and it will all be different. You know, how many times have we heard people say, you know, I, I, I don't really want to sleep with my boyfriend. But, you know, he's not a Christian and um, he doesn't really get all that kind of stuff. And so I just need to sort of just do what I need to do just to keep him interested. You know, I think God is, God's all right about it. It's okay. Um, we've seen people, you know people, who are so desperate for a relationship that their own moral compass has got so far out of line that even married men and married women are no longer off the radar. And it all starts with uh, turn these stones into bread. It all started with a do whatever you need to do to satisfy yourself. You're hungry. You need to eat. Do whatever you need to do to satisfy yourself. The truth is that when we come to faith, we hand over the control of our lives to Jesus. Um, The trouble is, is when we don't get what we want, uh, and we don't get what we want when we want it, and the way that we want it, it becomes so easy for us to take back control and to try to remedy things in our own way. You know, so often we find ourselves thinking, you know, I I can't be happy unless so-and-so happens. You know, unless God answers this prayer, I can't be happy, I can't be fulfilled. This isn't the abundant life that God has promised me. How do we handle that kind of question when it comes? Well, Jesus' response to the enemy is is basically, don't try and confuse me about what I need. Don't try and confuse me about what I really need. You know, what Jesus is saying is the only thing that I need to lead a happy and satisfied, whole and peaceful life in this world is to be near my Heavenly Father, is to be in God, to do God's will and to serve him. And so when we find ourselves facing that same temptation in our own desert, we're to say exactly the same thing. When there's this big hole of emptiness in our lives and we are pleading with God to fill that hole in a specific way, to take away that ache and that longing and that pain, um, we can meet that temptation face on, head on, just like Jesus did. By saying, you know, we don't live, I don't live on bread alone. I live on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Father. Satan, don't try and confuse me with what I really need. The only thing I need to lead a whole, sane, satisfied, peaceful life in this world is I need to be near God. 
I need to be in God. I need to do the will of God. All I'm called to is to serve him. And hard as it may be, much as I just don't get it, much as I have no idea what's going on here, I'm just going to have to learn to trust God for the food and for the job, for the boyfriend, for the girlfriend, for the baby, whatever it may be. Because I just need one thing. I need God. So the first area of our identity that the enemy tries to assault us in and, and, and get one over on us in is this whole area of appetite. Second is approval. Have a look at verse 5. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, uh, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Uh, rather than find peace in being sons and daughters of the king, it's really very, very easy for us to find ourselves needing approval uh, from people around us. You know, we kind of desperately hope that they will affirm our value. Do you mean they'll, that they'll, they'll, they'll like us? that people around us will like us, that people around us will see us as successful. They'll, they'll recognize the, the face that I'm presenting to them uh, and the person, the persona that I'm presenting to them, and they'll like that, and they'll affirm that, and they'll go, oh, gosh, that's amazing. I, uh, I wish I were more like Neil, you know. If you worship me, it will all be yours, says the enemy. So often what we do is we hang our sense of our identity, you know, who we are on... Um, the approval that we get from other people, what other people think about us, what other people say about us, what we perceive other people to think about us and what we perceive other people to be saying about us, rather than from the love of our Heavenly Father, who before we ever do anything for us, says, I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. In you I am well pleased. So often we fall foul to the lie of, an en- of the enemy and we, we settle for seeking approval we hanker after um, the authority and the splendor that we think comes from giving ourselves to these other things turning our attention to what is not God for approval recognition and affirmation and um, it's just not true it's not real it is a massive deception it's, um, it's, kind of a, it's a kind of false worship. And it doesn't affirm us, and it doesn't give us proper authority, and it doesn't have any true splendor. It's all fake. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all a lie, and it's all a sham. Romans uh, 1, verse 24 in the message says this. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. And it wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy inside and out. And all this because they traded the true God for a fake God and worshipped the God they made instead of the God who made them. Our true identity um, comes from one place, and it comes from true worship, a life lived glorifying God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that's where the real kingdom lies. That's where real authority lies. That's the place where we encounter and experience and see magnificent splendor 
Isaiah 55 says, Why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? We're spending too much of ourselves on stuff that isn't bread and stuff that doesn't satisfy. Finally, have a look at uh, verse 9. Ambition. The devil leads him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he says, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, he said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And, and this is a kind of a reference right at the top of the temple uh, wall in Jerusalem. There was, like a, there was a section that jutted out. It was like terrifyingly high. It was about, I think, 60 foot or so. It jutted out over like a big chasm. And it's where the, the poor trumpeter would kind of tiptoe out, probably crawling out on his belly, and you know, would blast a trumpet sound. Um, it, it was high. Uh, and uh, if you jumped off or you fell off, you wouldn't survive. Right? You, would, you would be no more. But on the other hand, if you were... Um, I don't know, planning on launching some new project or product or you were thinking of starting some new area of ministry or something or you wanted to make a bit of a splash, if you were to go out to this precipice and then jump off and float down to the ground unharmed, untouched, that would create quite a, a news item. And that's what the enemy is offering Jesus. Jesus is just about to go and embark upon his public ministry. And as far as launching ministry goes, that would be kind of a great start. He would have been on the front page of all the national press in a moment. And that's what the enemy was offering Jesus here. You know, he's like saying, surely you want to get things going. You've got a job to do. It's a great job. You know, uh, let's give it a bit of a kickstart. Let's get everyone's attention. Let's make this happen. And so here's the offer of this shortcut, not through obedience, not through faithfulness, but through sensationalism. In other words, Jesus is being asked to sacrifice who he is and who God has called him to be, his character, for the sake of ambition. And again, this is another arena around our identity where we'll be tested over and over again. Appetite, approval, ambition. So all of this comes down to our identity and, and pressing into understanding who we are in him. And we are going to take a bashing. And we do on a regular basis on this very fundamental question of who am I? And we live in a world where the enemy is constantly trying to tempt us and allure us and undermine the way that we think about who we are in Christ Jesus. And he does it over our appetites, over these things that we think that we need that tell us who we really are. He does it over our approval. Um, which is related to the people that we think we need to tell us who we really are. And he does it around the arena of ambition, which is the things that we do that we think tell us who we really are. And the Lord is saying, don't fall for any of it. It's all a lie. None of these things define you. None of these things, the Father says, change how I, the Father, feel about you. And he says, and the invitation that he's extending to us is, do you know what? Come away with me a while. Come with me into the desert. Come away with me. The stuff from Hosea we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Come away with me and let's take off 
all this stuff. Let's strip off all of this stuff that actually is not bringing you freedom. It's actually just wearing you down. It's Kate's rucksack. Our rucksacks are full of this stuff. He's saying, bring it all to the foot of the cross and unpack all of this stuff. Come into the desert. Come into the wilderness. Come into this barren place. And let me speak my words of love over you. Let me speak tenderly to you. Let me woo you and allure you. Listen to the Lord and his counsel as to how we deal with it all. So very quickly, here are some ways that we might deal with temptation when it hits in the areas of appetite, ambition, and approval. And the first is this, and it's obey God right now. Let's kind of get into the habit of just learning to obey God right now, like this moment, just now, right now. Um, When everything hits the fan, which it does all the time, and we're being hounded and harassed and badgered by uh, appetite, uh, approval, ambition, whatever, you know what? In that moment, when you know you are being lured and enticed to go in a direction you don't really want to go, um, don't worry in that moment. Don't worry about whether you will be able to obey God like next week or next month or for the rest of your life, right? Um, that's kind of what the enemy wants us to think about. You know, it's like, you might as well, you know, go for it, knock yourself out. You're, you're not going to be able to keep this up anyway, right? So, you know, you might succeed in resisting me this time, but just, you know, a week or two weeks' time, a month's time, a year's time, you know you'll, you know you'll have fallen foul again, right? So you're not going to be able to follow Jesus forever. You're not going to be able to say no to this forever, right? So you know you won't. You've fallen before, so you'll fall again, so you might as well. And that's the voice that comes and whispers in our ear. And, and the Spirit of God isn't saying, don't worry about obeying me for the rest of your life. I'll take care of that. The question the Holy Spirit is asking of us is, will you obey me right now? Right, just in this moment, in this second. Don't worry about whether you can obey God next week or next month. Can we obey God right now? That's the only question which is in front of us. And that's the life of the disciple. Rich Nathan said, you know, being a follower of Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus is always just a simple case of putting one foot in front of the other. Left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. That's the journey of the disciple. And then a couple of hours from now, the question gets asked again, and it's, will you obey God right now? Will you obey me right now? So the first thing is, let's learn to obey God right now. Here's the second thing in just dealing with temptation. And it's slow down and think. There's a song in there, but I'm not going. Slow down and think. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, he wrote this. He said, the devil's tactic in temptation is primarily not to insert thoughts into your mind, but rather to prevent thoughts from entering your mind. It's not so much that Satan is whispering thoughts into your head that aren't already there. Rather, Satan keeps you from thinking about the things that you need to think about. So if we want to triumph and get some victory in our lives over the areas where we're falling foul of temptation, um, we need to get into the habit of slowing down and starting to think. We need to ask ourselves the question, if I give in to this temptation, um, will I feel better about myself afterwards or not? Will I, will I feel better 
or will I feel worse? Will I feel closer to Jesus after I succumb, or will I feel further away? Will I just be able to pray and read my Bible and worship and praise and do all the things I love, or will it take me about a week before I can get back into the presence of my Heavenly Father because I feel so ashamed? You know, after just one more click, you know, after the satisfaction has passed, after the cupcake has been consumed, after the affair has been had, is there any possible way that this could end well? Not just for me, but for the people in my life, the people around me, people I love. How, what's the outcome of this? Slow down and think. Some of those thoughts. Here's the third thing. Fill yourself with God's word. Jesus responds to Satan with the word of God. The word of God is our weapon. The scriptures and the Bible are so incredibly important. It clears up the confusion about what we need and when we need it and how much we need and God's willingness to meet our needs. We get the answer to all of those things through devoting ourselves to the scriptures we don't live on bread alone we live on every word that comes from the mouth of the father ephesians 6 says and take up the sword of the spirit which is the word of god and so we know because we read about the armor of god in ephesians 6 then we know that of all the armor that's described in ephesians 6 that is there to protect ourselves from the onslaught of the enemy the only offensive weapon that we have is this book the bible the scriptures The word of God, the sword of the spirit, the word of God is there for us to take down the enemy. It's there to be wielded in battle on a daily basis, not sheathed by our bedsides collecting dust. Ain't no good there. Finally, allow others to strengthen you. We don't do well in isolation. We think we do well in isolation. We don't do well in isolation. Uh, That's why we constantly say you need to be in a small group. If you're struggling with temptation, if you're struggling to triumph and you keep succumbing, um, get into a small group. Uh, Get somebody to, you know, uh, pray with you. Find someone to pray with you. Get connected with other believers who can pray with you and strengthen you. So, take this time, this season of Lent. Let's use it as an opportunity to slow down and kind of take a bit of a spiritual health check. You to slow down and ask ourselves, um, where am I being tempted? You know, where am I succumbing to temptation? Where am I giving ground? We're choosing over the season of Lent to begin thinking about saying no to the things that we can say no to so that we can learn to say no to the things that right at this moment we can't. We're choosing to take this time in the run-up to Easter to draw near to Jesus to think upon him, to look upon his cross, and to reflect on the resurrection. Why don't you stand and we'll minister?